Hello, everybody, and welcome to Investing with IBD for June 19th, 2019. I'm your host, Arusha Pierce, and with me today is Brian Shannon, longtime trader, author, and founder of AlphaTrends.net. Thanks for being here, Brian. Hey, great to be here, Arusha. On today's podcast, we're going to talk about the markets, the psychology of moving averages, and of course, we will end the show with some current stocks. Uh, so first, before we get into the current market, Brian, how many years have you been trading? I started in uh, right out of college in 1991, um, and I, you know, done a little dabbling while I was in college. But really, since 1991, I was a retail broker. Started out in Boston uh, with a couple firms, uh, one being Lehman Brothers, yep. and then moved to Denver, where I realized that I really didn't want to be a broker or a trained salesman. I wanted to be a trader. So. I started trading with a small uh, company called Generic Trading out of New York who offered leverage uh, for remote trading. Found them in the back of the IBD, actually. They used to oh, take a little go. square out and, uh, you know, kind of uh, migrated around a little bit, but still trading all the time. And I have, you know, alphatrends.net, wrote my book, that sort of thing. So I've just uh, kind of always been engaged full time in trading. Now, Brian, you said one really nice thing when, when we were getting to know each other a little bit before the show. Uh, you were using Daily Grass books in the in the beginning. That Those Daily Grass books are, are dear to my heart. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Right. The blue book was the NYSE yes. and Amex, yes. and then the uh, green book was NASDAQ. And the light blue, if you wanted to save money, you'd get the options guide. <laughs> but those charts were really small, so you had to you know, cut them out and put them on the photocopier and blow them up. Yeah. Uh, I was first introduced to those uh, at the first brokerage firm I was at, uh, a, 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 co a competitor, I guess, down the hall used to get those chart books and they would leave them there and Monday morning sometimes I'd roll in a little early and see them there and uh, they kind of got stuck to my fingers somehow <laughs> and uh, I never uh, returned them because I was just so addicted to looking through those books. It was amazing to see all the information in there. So after a few years I did start you know, subscribing to the books and then I would rush each Sunday to go get my books. It wasn't it wasn't good enough for them to deliver them to me. I had to have them earlier. So I went to the distribution center. You know, it's funny. I've heard that from a number of longtime traders. They said the exact same thing. They had to get it on Saturday or Sunday because those books, especially back then, they were a huge edge. You got all the latest information. You had the weekend to prepare and you found all these great stocks. Yeah, I would, like I said, I would go through, I would fold a page over and then I would get a little exacto knife and cut out the ones that I wanted. Then I'd go over to Kinko's and blow them up about 200%. So I had nice big ones and I put them in a binder in front of me and take notes on them. It was pretty cool. Uh, that That's perfect. Uh, yeah, I actually, years ago when the library had the Daily Grass books, I would go every week uh, photocopy the first few pages of, uh, they would have those model stocks uh, in the beginning right. to show some of these great uh, growth stocks and they would have a lot of annotations in it. I'd photocopy them. That's how I learned the system, just by getting two stocks each week. Uh, so, so that's really cool to hear that. Now, unfortunately, those Daily Grass books are no longer with us, but the weekend routine of studying the markets and getting prepared for that next week is still here. So how do you prepare for the next week? 
Yeah, I mean, it's still that's where it all begins for me is on the weekend. And, you know, looking at stocks that have already been on my list or then going over to MarketSmith, which, of course, has all that same information and then some, exactly. um, which really makes it uh, e e that much more valuable than the than the old books. Um, but to look through some of the leading stocks there to kind of call my list and try to figure out what I might have missed during the week, what stocks could be setting up for the week ahead, digging in a little bit further and, and looking at uh, even popping the link to the website uh, for the company to see what they do uh, through those MarketSmith charts or just looking at the, you know, earnings estimates, the, um, you know, sales, uh, all the all the great fundamental information on there as well to just kind of hone it into here are my top ideas that I want to focus on this week. Let's see if the market agrees with my thinking and allows me to get either get into these or tells me to avoid them or just be prepared overall. Yeah, and you talked about uh, preparation. Uh, the my what I found for my experience is that just my trading success got a lot better once I realized to do most of the work on the weekend uh, instead of trying to do it every day. You know, try to stay, keep on the market. Come up with that game plan on the weekend. Use Mark Smith. Come up with those ideas that could be right. the next ones to get into. And now you have that whole game plan. You set your alerts, and then you're just following your game plan during the week. Yeah, I think that's a great way to do it. I, I also create what I call my you know my master list for the week, and it, there might be you know 150 200 stocks on there, and I can look through those each and every day. So I still I still like to have a little bit of that daily component, just so I'm looking at more stocks each day, just to kind of get a better feel for the market mm -hmm. but yep. you know the the real the real idea generation is done on the weekend and then it's fine tuning it each, each day it's not you know chasing whatever's in the news or whatever's gapping up or down right, right. it's having a plan and and trying to be disciplined enough to implement it if the market provides that opportunity so uh, Brian let's get into the the current market so right now the market is in a confirmed uptrend uh, we had a fall through day back on June 7th, and uh, stocks, the underlying stocks, especially today, uh, they, they've been working pretty well before that, but we had the Fed news uh, come out today, and it and, uh, looks like the, the stocks closed pretty well by the end of the day. Yeah, great. I mean, we had that strong shakeout in the month of May yes. uh, that brought us below a, a lot of levels that we're supposed to hold, but we've bounced back magnificently. It's really, uh, here we are, I think, uh, a percent or so from all-time highs in the S&P 500. So I think that uh, there's no reason to think that we wouldn't go see new all-time highs. Now, a lot of times what I've noticed, and, and maybe you've noticed this as well, Arusha, is that you know the first day of a Fed meeting, we might close positive, but then it kind of drifts lower for a couple days or just kind of you know gets people uh, a little shaken up because we see uh, you know they get too confident in one direction and think, well, it's great, now I can buy, but then someone comes in and kind of you know, sneaks the punch bowl away a little bit and, and makes them rethink it. But, you know, the, what I was saying on Twitter today is that we've gotten pretty far extended here over the last just couple of days yeah. uh, from a, from some good support near about 288 on the SPY. And uh, that gives us a nice cushion. So if we do pull back, it's not really going to do any damage to the structural uh, uptrend that we have here. No, yeah. Even if it did pull back, as long as it doesn't pull back too much, uh, we're right. consolidating that really strong move at the beginning of the year still. So 
Yeah, you're right there. And now I do agree with you also with the Fed reacting. A lot of times you have the it'll react one way and close the uh, in a certain way by the end of the day. Then the next day, sometimes it's complete opposite. And it may right. get even scarier by the end of the day as the market digests whatever the, the Fed released uh, in their notes. Um, so with, with the overall market, uh, so uh, you're, you're looking at the NASDAQ, the S&P 500. Are you looking at any other types of indexes uh, to get an idea of just the larger picture of what's going on in the environment? Yeah, I mean, I you know, so the Russell 2000 is a little bit of a concern that it continues to underperform, but it yeah. is starting to heal. We're back above the 50 and 200 day moving averages and showing a little bit uh, better strength. Something that I've always done since I can't remember when is also to look at the financials. The financials are a big part of the S&P 500 and they're behaving well, you know, getting ready to break. If I think if we can break the high of the last couple of weeks, that we could see some follow through and maybe leadership from the financials. And then uh, it, it's always been a habit of mine also to follow the semiconductors because they obviously, te- you know, they're, they're the, sh- uh, the, the, uh, the pals and, and shovels uh, exactly. of technology. Yes. So they tend to lead a little bit, but they've been underperforming relative to the, to the Qs or the NASDAQ 100. So I think that if the semis can continue to just hold up and maybe digest some of those gains, the outsized gains we've seen through time, then they they won't be a real drag on the market and a, re, or a concern. Yeah, and maybe with the semis, uh, hopefully they, they kind of form a bottom here, but also uh, maybe just they're just dependent on the, this whole trade war that's going on. Uh, I'm sure once that that's kind of settled, that the, they'll rock it back. But as long as they don't get hit too hard uh, during this uncertain time, uh, may, maybe they still have a chance. Yeah, they're they're trying, I guess. I mean, we you know we we got hit pretty hard. Yes. Um, down twenty plus percent or close to twenty percent, and now it seems to be stabilizing. So it's 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 building. I, I certainly wouldn't want to short them, but I also think it's too early to buy them. That if they can just do some, you know, new construction in here, just some constructive behavior in this general area, uh, then it, it could pave the way that uh, they could take another leadership role again. What about secondary indicators? Do you look at any of those to get an idea of the, the market? You know, really, Arusha, I don't. I, I tend to focus a lot more individually based uh, in the stocks. Now, if I look at an advanced decline line, for mm-hmm. instance, I might look at it during the day. So we might have 2,000 stocks up and 1,000 down on the New York Stock Exchange. And that tells me money's flowing into the market and I can be a little bit more aggressive. Whereas if it was flipped uh, and we had 1,000 advancers, 2,000 decliners, then I'd get a little bit more um, cautious and, and defensive in terms of putting new positions on and making sure I know where my stops are. And that sort of thing. But I don't take a broad, you know, put to call ratio or advanced decline line. And to me, it's more about the action of what I'm actually trading. And what about time frame? Just with your t- trading time frame uh, for, for each investor, each trader, it, it can be quite a bit different. Uh, how, how do you look at your time frames? What's generally the, the zone uh, where, where you're kind of considering your trades? That's such a good question. I love when people ask it because, you know, we can be bullish on the longer term trend, but we're in a pullback mode that might last two to three weeks at times. Right. uh, But it just doesn't favor buying during that pullback. So my particular time frame has always been swing trading. Now, 
I got derailed for a while by uh, overactive day trading, um, maybe about five, six years ago. Uh, but I've kind of, you know, over the last several years in particular, uh, gravitated more towards the swing trading. And, I, you know, the day trading was more a function of uh, back, you know, back when the high frequency traders and programs were really messing with the markets and there wasn't good follow through. So when I look at a swing trade, I, I hope to be involved in it, you know, maybe three to four weeks. Okay. Uh, but it's that, you know, I'll use the definition of trend, higher highs and higher lows on an intermediate term time frame. And when that's broken, then I'll say, well, not, now, you know, I have no reason to be involved anymore because the, the trend for the time frame that I'm engaged no longer exists. So why would I want to be there? Perfect. Uh, so the market's in an uptrend. Uh, remember uh, to be disciplined, manage your risk, uh, but pay close attention. A lot of the leading stocks are acting pretty well. We will talk about some of these in, in one of the segments coming up, but let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about a really cool topic here, the psychology of moving averages. So stay tuned. Hey everyone, it's Arusha here. Now we are in the middle of free access week for leaderboard. So what does this mean? You get to go and try leaderboard for free. You don't have to put a credit card in. You can just go on to investors.com, click on the leaderboard free access image that you see there, and you get to play around with leaderboard and really take a look at the handpicked stocks from the leaderboard team to see if it's a good fit for you. For more information, go to investors.com forward slash free access. We're back with Brian Shannon on investing with IBD. And so now let's get into a really cool topic here. Uh, the psychology of moving averages. So Brian, let's go over kind of uh, the, th uh, the thinking process here of uh, how you look at moving averages. And there's actually a psychology behind them. Well, sure. I mean, why do we use the 50-day moving average, the 200-day moving average? I'll tell you why I do. That's what I learned from the IBD back in the early 90s. That's what I learned from the O'Neill books. And, yep. you know, is if you think about what are what, what, what is technical analysis, we're trying to understand the crowd behavior and see funds, you know, where they're flowing so we can anticipate movement and manage risk. Well, you know, the 50-day moving average, a lot of people, you, I'll ask people, you know, when I talk, do you have a 50-day moving average on your chart? And nine out of 10 people will say yes. And, you know, the question will be why? Well, I'm not really sure. What's magical about 50 days? Uh, my little pet peeve is actually if we're going to look at something in that time frame, why not look at a 63-day moving average because that's one full quarter? Right. What is 50 days? It's you know it's 10 weeks. Uh, that's nice. It sounds good, but the fact is that enough people look at it, even if they don't know why, but they look at it and they say, well, the stock is pulling back to its rising 50-day moving average. So if you're in in, in in cash on the sidelines, you might, you, in, in your train, well, often they bounce from that level. A 50-day moving average often acts as support. So you'll start to anticipate and you'll start to maybe stick some bids in there. If the stock ran from, let's say, 70 to 95 and pulled back sharp, uh, you know, it ran quickly, you, you're going to get some short sellers in there. Yep. And those short sellers who are, you know, going counter the trend will say, well, we'll cover down near the 50-day moving average because that's where there's often a lot of demand. So they add demand, they you know they 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 stop adding supply, 
Other longs who have big, you know, institutions who are trimming a position, they'll stop selling into the 50-day moving average, saying, "Well, let's not sell anymore." And in fact, maybe the long institution had 800, you know, million shares, sold it off to 200,000. It pulls back into the 50. They'll stick in a, a bid for 100,000 shares. But what we're trying, what I'm trying to paint the picture of there is that we have all these different. Uh, participants kind of coming to the same conclusion in the same area. That is, let's stop adding supply. Let's start adding demand. Other times, I'll look at a 50-day moving average and say, I don't want to put my bid there, but I want to look at it now on a shorter-term time frame to see if there's actually evidence that the buyers are gaining control. And when they do show that evidence, then I want to participate. So I use it as a place to anticipate and then wait for price confirmation that it is starting to you know, show some stability in there uh, and then re reemerge from that pullback before I participate. So let's go into uh, the first example here. And uh, this is Akamai, ticker symbol AKAM. And so on, well, on a current chart right here, yeah, that, that's right near the 50-day the right now. It's starting to get a little bit of a bounce. Sure. So you can see we started the beginning of the year. We were below the declining 50-day moving average. The 50-day moving average kind of flattened out in early February, and prices got above it. Yeah. And then they ran up and, you know, ran up to 70-ish or so, pulled back on one sharp pullback right through the 50-day moving average. But that, the that was what, March, March 25th, right? That yeah, right like there, like exactly, the there. $67. Yep. Yep. And then it rocketed higher off of that. So to me, the slope of the 50-day moving average is important. I consider it as innocent till proven guilty, the stock that is, action, if the 50-day moving average is advancing. It doesn't mean you buy it, right? You don't want to be the guy who buys it after a 10% rally up to, you know, well, you saw that one spike up to $86. So we pretty much ran 20 points from that first shakeout. Yeah. You don't want to be the guy who buys up there. Instead, it pulled back again. And then we saw the, the, the pullback occurred on later volume than the rally occurred on. So it's telling us there's not a lot of supply coming in. And we look and it came pretty much dead on to that rising 50-day moving average again. We saw a bounce and it didn't make a higher high, so it needed a little more time to digest. And we're still we still see that, you know, a week and a half, two weeks ago, we had a sharp undercut of the 50 day moving average. So you wouldn't buy. I wouldn't buy it in there. Obviously, someone did because it recovered. Yeah. But now, you know, we're back to above a rising 50 day moving average. Today, we closed at just under $80 per share. And I think, it, it you know, you can now look at that most recent uh, higher low under the 50-day moving average and use that as a place to, to mark your risk against down near about $76 per share. Okay, so you, you said a number of really interesting things here. Now, now the first thing is that you had you, you had the, the, the kind of going to new highs near 86. Everyone gets too excited. They probably get, well, that was even on an earnings report, it looks like. So yeah, may, right, maybe exactly. gapped up in the morning, filled the gap, comes back in, finds support on the 50, and then has a little bit of bounce. And then you have that undercut on June 3rd, right? So you had an undercut yes. where you undercut the 74 level, shake out more wheat holders. So you're you're just really shaking out everyone 
and making sure the only ones who are going to be in the stock at that point are the ones who are committed. Agreed. Yeah. And it's like the old phrase, you know, no pain, no gain. Or, you know, if they if they don't scare you out, they'll wear you out. But, you know, you 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 get that fearful panic and people throw their stock away, you know, that first thing in the morning, which is just ridiculous. Instead of saying, wait a minute, let's be a little let's give it a you know let's give it a day see if it can recover give it two days how about you know i i see some people using variations such as you know two days closing three days closing below a 50-day moving average Mm -hmm. to me though it's more about the direction of the 50-day moving average you give the benefit of the doubt to the buyers it doesn't mean rush in and buy but wait for evidence that's most likely to recover. Sometimes you, you know, they suck short sellers in there who I think are uneducated who are saying, hey, it's below the 50-day moving average. Well, that's short. Right. Well, not when the 50-day moving average is still rising. It says over the last 50 days, money is still flowing positive into this stock. Yeah, and during this whole time of where it's just shaking out, everyone wearing out everybody, that 50-day continues to rise which is really interesting. So it's continuing to rise. Now, for, now if, if, if this was on uh, your potential buy list, where would you consider uh, getting into a, a stock? Not necessarily this stock, but just in this kind of setup, where, where would you start saying, hey, you know what, let, let's start uh, buying here. Let, let's start building a position. Okay, well, you can see that I think it was about a week and a half ago. The high was right under $81 per share or so. Right. What I'd really like to see is, you know, since we came up from $76 two days ago, I'd like to get it up towards that 81 and then stall out in that area for a day or two. Okay. Maybe even pull back one more time to 78 to create one more higher low and then buy as it breaks above that 81 level. That way I could put my stop underneath a higher low that would occur at about 78. So it's a lot of anticipation. And and, and then it comes down to position sizing. If I felt like it was gonna go above 81, right now I think my stop would have to be about 76 unless I saw something on a shorter term timeframe. So I would use uh, less, less share size um, and, and risk less than normal because I don't feel as though I'm getting the ideal entry. So I'll start to drill down to shorter term time frames, maybe a 30 minute time frame, and take a look under the microscope of the last 15 days and say, here's where it looks like we're forming intraday support and resistance. And then I can, you know, fine tune it and, and tighten up my stop a little bit, hopefully. Yeah. And I, I think the, the, some of the keys that uh, listeners should take from this is you're, you're, you're planning ahead of time for really both kind of scenarios, right? Where if the if it starts going up, if it starts becoming more bullish, this is what you're gonna do. Now, if it goes against you, this is where you're gonna get out. And, and so that's really one of the keys uh, as you get better and better at this is thinking about those scenarios. What am I gonna do? Where's my, what's my risk? That's really the first thing you always wanna do right. is, is think about what's my risk and is the reward worth taking that risk? Yeah, and, and the, the thing too, Arusha, is I think that a lot of people, newer people in particular, they feel like, hey, I've spent all this energy making this plan, yeah. but the stock gapped up, and now what do I do? So they chase it, or they, they see that you know the earnings were great, so they, they're the ones who chase it up at $86 per share, thinking, oh, I'm missing, I'm missing the train, and then they end up top, top ticking it. Yeah. yeah they're, the, the planning is about anticipation and waiting for price confirmation to participate for the time frame that we're involved in 
and to say, and, and, and we decide that based on what is the perceived reward relative to the risk that we see in the trade. And then if, you know, in, in having the ability and the discipline to say, you know what, it capped up eight points. I can't chase this thing. It's just not for me. I, I missed it, you know, and, and that's part of understanding and, and, and anticipating various scenarios, not just the one that you want to happen. Exactly. Let's go to the second stock here. It's Solar Edge, uh, ticker symbol SEDG. And uh, here's another one that has a rising 50-day moving average. Right. So this one actually on that chart you see had a nice base basically from – we had a declining 50-day moving average back in August, September of last year. Then it turned sideways and it did gap higher on earnings. Uh, again, it looks like about May 3rd there was that big move. Yep, May and 7th. Then about seven days or so, it kind of formed a flag pattern with those lower highs and those lower lows over the course of about eight days. Yeah. But it was holding on to the, the bulk of the gains. And then from there, it's emerged higher. So as it broke that flag, that's where I had originally gotten involved in it. I was out uh, about three or four days later, I got stopped out. So, you know, it, it's it, I'm not using the 50-day moving average necessarily. And I, I think that looks like you have a 20-day moving average on there as well, which is, really seems to be holding nicely yes. for this powerful segment. Yeah, so yeah, this one, but the overall, it looks like the trend is slowly continuing to, to become more of an uptrend on this. So all the moving averages on, on, on the charts, uh, continue to point that way. So, so far, so good. So let's go to one more example here. And this is yep. with a declining 50-day moving average, Tesla. Right. And, you know, so Tesla is one of the most emotional stocks out there, I think. It is. And that people are always arguing about it on <laughs> Twitter and wherever, the, the TSLAQ people versus the, you know, the Elon lovers. Right. Uh, but, you know, we, this, the stock had really done nothing for a period of two or three years, if, if you look at a longer term chart. But looking at this daily time frame, you know, since the beginning of the year, you know, we kind of had that transition in mid-January where the 50-day moving average started to turn sideways. And then as we broke that 294 low uh, from, from December, then we saw a lower low. The stock rallied up, and where did it find supply? Right at that declining 50-day moving average. Right. It then came down, rallied to the 50-day moving average on a couple more occasions, uh, first there in late February, and then again in early April, and you can see it kind of closed right on that 50-day moving average. Yeah, and then April 3rd, it, it finished nasty right up. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that was pretty, you know, you know, so for people who are thinking, hey, it closed above its 50-day moving average, you know, the direction is still lower. Don't go in there. And we had a large gap lower, and those people got punched in the face pretty good the next morning. But now, here we are today, uh, and we're right at that declining 50-day moving average. And, and we've just seen the, the stock, we've just seen Tesla rally from 177 to where we are now at 225-ish. So you have to ask yourself, where has it come from? It's just rallied 50 points, basically, right? Yeah. Uh, and where does it have the potential to go before it's likely to encounter some supply? Well, look at the last three tests of the 50-day moving average. We had sharp moves away from there. So is the risk worth the reward to be a buyer in here? I'd say absolutely not. If you're more aggressive, you'd be looking at probably, you know, shorter term time frames to say, can I short this stock now? Because it's failed three times here. 
Uh, so now's the time to be looking and saying, let's wait and see. If it starts to decline again, now I can use a stop above that most recent high where it poked through two days ago. Yep, the most recent high on the 18th. So right. mov moving averages have a character to them, and it's best to pay attention to see how they're trading before you start trading the stock. Coming up next, we will go more into this and talk about some current stocks that are setting up. So stay tuned. Hey, everyone, it's Arusha here. Now, we are in the middle of free access week for leaderboard. So what does this mean? You get to go and try leaderboard for free. You don't have to put a credit card in. You can just go on to investors.com, click on the leaderboard free access image that you see there, and you get to play around with leaderboard and really take a look at the handpicked stocks from the leaderboard team to see if it's a good fit for you. For more information, go to investors.com forward slash free access. We're back with Brian Shannon on investing with IBD. And so let's get into some current stocks that are uh, setting up here. So now the first one is Zillow. Now Zillow's a, in the real estate business. They're a disruptor. They did well a number of years ago, but they're slowly setting up again. Uh, Brian, what do you see here? Yeah, so the stock, as you said, you know, had been significantly higher up at about 66, I think is the all-time high looking at my uh, chart here. Yeah. Um, and we, you know, what happened is over the last year, basically since ju ju late June of last year, we kind of transitioned to a downtrend. And again, we were stuck below a declining 50-day moving average. Then if you look at mid-February, we had a sharp spike and that ran directly into the declining 200-day moving average. Yes. And now, so again, here's a stock that was dropping, and if they didn't scare you out on the way down, it took about a year or maybe nine months of base building before we were able to finally get back above that February high, and now we're holding above it. So that prior resistance in the 45-ish area is now holding as support. So again, we're above a rising 20, 50, 200 day moving average. The company, if you look down at the bottom, the last four quarters, revenues have increased 22%, 22%, 29%, and most recently, uh, 51%. So they're selling more stuff. Unfortunately, it's not translating to earnings, but we've got a great chart pattern here. And I think that it's a buy basically above the high two days ago. And a stop in this case for me as a swing trader would go under the low of last week, which looks like it's about uh, maybe 44 or so. Yeah, so around 44 there. And then the high from uh, yesterday, June 18th, which looks like the high was 47.04. So around a three, $3 kind of stop if you, if you were to buy right at 47.04 or 47.05. Uh, yeah, and then, and then it looks like the buyers are back in control. We're making higher highs and higher lows above these rising moving averages. Um, and, you know, we've got a bullish market backdrop, so that obviously helps. And it looks to me like it should be heading up towards 56 to $60 per share. You know, I don't like to use price targets so much, um, but it's interesting to see on the chart, you know, that's about where the IBD has it drawn in there. And that's really a great feature for, for newer people on these MarketSmith charts who don't know how to create their own risk reward. So that's, you know, so the point is when I get into a trade, I want to know that there's sufficient 
potential upside. But then listen to the message of the market. Peel some off on some you know quick pops and then raise stops underneath the success of higher lows. Yeah, and and so so uh, with the pattern recognition on market Smith. It picked up a, a cup base right around where Brian was analyzing it as it got above the, the 45 level. And then we have the trading ranges on pattern recognition. So 20% from that cup is right around what uh, Brian was uh, saying, around $55 or so. But now, Brian, well, it's kind of interesting that you were also identifying that because that also, when you look on a chart, came to another uh, kind of an interesting point on the, the chart way back when in August. That that was the main thing is that, you know, I look at the chart uh, from previous, uh, you know, look to the left to see where the potential for supply is. Yeah. And we don't have a whole lot of trading that occurred between this level and up to about that 56 level. So it makes it seem that it would move easier through there as we're not potentially facing an avalanche of supply from people who are looking to get break even. So it will have the ability to kind of, you know, just float up into that area. Um, and hopefully, you know, it does so before uh, a stop gets hit. But it's it's always up to the market. That's that's the way I'd like it to happen. And we'll see what the market gives us. Yeah. And in the end, the market's always going to be right. And it's up to us to listen to the market or, or pay the price. Uh, let's go to the second stock, uh, DHT. They're, they're in the oil tanking business. And uh, what do you see here on this chart? So this is a lower price stock, obviously. And it's, you know, it, it can be a pretty good mover at times. Um, if we look back, you know, on the weekly chart, you know, back in, uh, you know, December of 15 and into mid 17, it was really in a downtrend yeah. and it's taken a while to heal. And now we're seeing that it's just recently run past some resistance and you're picking up another cup and handle there, it looks like, or at least a, a, a cup. Um, so on, if we then switch down to the daily time frame, just to get a better view, um, you know, all that prior resistance is now holding as support in this five and a half ish area. We had a pretty good little shakeout uh, last week. It looks like it, it gapped down and then immediately recovered. So to me, that is a high uh, emotion point that, you know, buyers stepped in and rescued it there very quickly. So to me, that's where a stop should go would be below that, you know, maybe five cents below that low which is at about $5.20, it looks like. Yeah, and and so here, not only did it undercut and get below a rising 50-day moving average, it was also undercutting a, a previous kind of shorter-term kind of low of $5.38. So you had both of the effect of the, uh, a shakeout of a, a recent low and then also a shakeout of, of a key moving average. Yeah, and those are great because they catch people off guard and the yep. people who sell in there end up having seller's remorse. So think about the people who are you know reading a headline and they decide they're going to short based on that. Well, all that supply comes in at once, but it's going to turn into eventual demand on a short, right? Because they have to cover. That's true. Or the, you know, the seller's remorse turns into, hey, I've got to buy that back. I still like it. So I think that this one still has a little bit of time before it gets going, but it's it's time really in here right now to start making a plan. I think above the high of last week, maybe that looks like at about $5.80, $0.82 or so. That is probably what gets this stock moving. And then again, a stop near $5.40. So a little, you know, about 8% would be a, a stop in there. 
and it looks to me like it can get up towards about maybe uh, six and a half, seven bucks a share. So for a low price stock, it's you know it's it's got a lot of liquidity, and um, maybe this one could get going. Yeah, and and there are a few things here also with the just on the weekly chart and one of those concepts that we've been speaking about a bunch on this episode. Just the stock shaking out people going through the process of you transferring those shares from weak holders to strong holders. And this one took a lot longer, right? It was uh, two, two years or so to go, come from a downtrend, go sideways for a year plus, and now it's slowly building an uptrend. So, and, and starting to finally set up something that you can have where a swing trader could set a, a risk reward plan to it. I'll tell you something else cool on here, Arusha, is, you know, I, I am aware of fundamentals generally and what they do. But, yeah. you know, looking right here on the MarketSmith chart, you know, this year they're expected to do 22 cents in earnings. And next year, the estimate here is for a dollar four. Yeah, that's and massive. We've got a five dollar wow. stock. I mean, I'm not a P.E. guy, but that. <laughs> sounds pretty cheap yeah uh, so you know if they can deliver on that and the revenues have you know last three quarters plus seven percent plus fifty percent plus sixty six percent looks like fundamentally and technically they're heading in, in the right direction if this stock can continue to build and, and not stop us out who knows how high it can go yeah yeah and a lot of times that's why those charts the, the buyers are starting to get more excited about it they're seeing those fundamentals and making those decisions and that's why charts are so beautiful because you get to see what they're actually doing and instead of hearing all the talk. Let's go to the, the third stock and this is uh, Funko, uh, F-N-K-O. And these guys, now th this, is, this is a fun company where they, they make a lot of these uh, little toys and dolls based off of movies. Like It seems like every movie or every comic book that's out there has a little Funko tall. Uh, Funko Toy, they uh, and they went on an unbelievable run last year, uh, and, and it's one of one of the better performers of, of last year. Just this rocket ship. So, uh, so it's starting to come back on your radar, uh, Brian, huh? Right, it, it, as you can see there, and it, it rode that 50-day moving average up that entire way. I mean, if you just looked at that for a sell signal, Seriously. you're never going to get out of the top based on that, but. Man, it really got creamed afterwards. So, you know, it, it has rebuilt. We had it, you know, it got ahead of itself. It pulled back sharp, you know, more than cut in half from 31 down to $11. But it's been building here and the range is tightening over the last, you know, since March or so. Um, so we've got a chart, you know, and, and especially in the last two weeks, we're really building on the daily time frame what looks to me like a little bit of a launch pad here. It's holding above that 50-day moving average and the 200-day moving average. Uh, the earnings have been strong. They're not due until August 9th for their next report, so we've got time. Uh, but if, if it can break beyond the highs of the last two weeks, I think you're going to see this stock rocket pretty quickly. And, and one of the things not on here, Arusha, is the short interest. And it, it's interesting to see that the short interest as of February 28th, when when the stock, if you go back to that chart there, the stock was just making that that spike to 2430. Uh -huh. So this that was February 28th. So there were two million shares sold short in in outstanding at that point. The most recent numbers from the Nasdaq were May 31st, and that number is at 3.9 million shares. So Whoa. over the last, you know, since February 28th. They've added 2 million shares, and the average price during that time is at about $20.85, meaning 
that if this stock can break higher, you're going to see that these shorts aren't going to be in a position they like. And how do they get out of that position? We all know, right? Yeah. I, I well, I, I like to say that you know, especially when when these stocks, if there's a, a heavy short interest and they're going to earnings, a lot of times I'll I'll say a little prayer for the shorts because if if that if the company excites Wall Street and that stock gaps up, those shorts are going to be on fire, uh, and and they're going to be in a lot of pain very quickly. Uh, well, you're much you're much kinder than I am, Arusha, because I'm <laughs> wishing the worst for them. Like, no way I'm going to pray for these guys. I, I don't want them to get torched. They're going to have to pay up, and I'm you know it's it's uh, it's a rough world out there in the market. It is. It is. It is definitely very unforgiving. Now, one one thing on the weekly charts for Market Smith in the top left, there's a short interest figure. Uh, and it's 6.3 days for Funko, meaning that if you're using the 50-day average volume, it would take them 6.3 days to cover all those shorts. Um, and if and they were the only ones. If they were the only ones, the stock, exactly, right? exactly. Yeah, that's that's. I I kind of look at that. It's actually I I've I've always thought anything over than five is significant. I think that's good, and then yeah. you have to understand, well, where are they short from? What is their, what is the point at which the pot boils and the lobster gets uncomfortable? Right. Because they're the lobster in the pot here. Yep. And if, if, if their average price is around 21 and the stock is breaking out at 23, they're, you know, they, they're going to have to reconsider what they're doing. Either really try to put a lid on it and short more and scare the longs or, they're going to have to chase the stock higher and, and compete with all the breakout buyers. So there's going to be that extra demand for the stock that can really make this thing potentially shoot quickly, you know, quickly uh, and significantly. Yeah, yeah, it, and it happens very, very fast because then they're all just going to fall over themselves trying to scramble to to cover uh, their their short position. Okay, so they're, keep it. they're a great friend to longs when the stock is going <laughs> exactly. up. And you know, a lot of times, especially for these great growth stocks, a, a, a huge reason why these stocks go uh, on these big runs or a part or, or a, a lot of times, maybe in the beginning of the runs, it's like gunpowder, right? They just take off, and all of a sudden, their shorts are covering. Now you have all all the the longs; they're buying more shares, and then and then really just uh, turns these stocks into rocket ships. And and then you know too, there's there's the part of People who've loaned their stock out might say, hey, I want, I don't want to loan it out anymore. I'm yeah. not willing to hypothecate it. So then they get bought in. And I mean, it, it can be very, uh, you know, vicious. So, so hedge funds will just buy market orders just to chase the shorts out. It, it can be super fun when they work great like that. <laughs> so keep an eye on these current stocks. And of course, when you're looking at all these stocks, make sure you pay attention to the character of the moving averages and that the 50-day moving average is a nice rising uptrend. So thanks, Brian, so much for joining the show today. Hey, fun conversation. Always good talking to you, Rocha. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we will have David Saito Chung, Associate Editor of IBD. And we're going to talk about news and more importantly, what is news? Uh, David's going to come on the show and define what news is, is to him and how to make more money in the markets with this new definition of news. So thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. 
We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.